Hey, everybody. Buckle up, buckaroos. Putin's talking about nuking everybody. Um, You know, conscripted the whole world. You know, you hear that, that, you know, economy fair airline flights out of Russia got to like $9,000 a seat. You've seen this one border crossing into Mongolia, and all these Russian cars were abandoned because people don't want to have Russian license plate and a Russian car in Mongolia to get tracked down. Um, people bailing out, uh, and, and and there's always going to be some bailing out, and there's going to be some patriotic Russians that are going to rally to the cause, but uh, this thing in Ukraine getting, getting awful serious and... Um, I mean, buckle up because uh, who, you know, okay, if it's just a small tactical nuke, but that's what, 50 square miles of ground ruined? Um, just take that out of production forever. I mean, what's the grain market's going to do and everything else? But hey, what I wanted to talk to you today is about farm credit. Um, that's one thing I actually think I know a little bit about. Be, I, I'm, I've been on both sides of the table. I've been both a borrower and a lender, um, lending through the Farm Service Agency, which is a a little bit different than lending through a bank or financial institution. But then I've also been a farmer that that has that has borrowed money for, you know, operating money. I've borrowed money for machinery. I've borrowed money for land. Um, I can tell you, at, at Judy's in my age. You know, uh, really, really concentrated the last few years of, of quote unquote getting the debt down, and done a tremendous, tremendously good job of it. I I will brag on myself, but on the other hand, everything's starting to cost more. So uh, let's let's just kind of dive into farm credit and let me give you. And this is not farm credit, farm credit. This is farm. This this is credit on the farm. Don't matter if you're borrowing it from you know, private bank, from a public entity, uh, you know, from a co-op, from whatever, whether you're financing your operation through, you know, some of these machinery uh, credit, well, I call them credit card deals, you, you can put seed and everything else on them. And, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, of input suppliers too that are offering credit. Of course, I you know I've always I've always you know we finance cars the used car salesmen are they really in the car selling business or are they actually selling cars so they can be the bank and they're really making their money on being the bank um, and and that's another story for another day but uh, the way agriculture's gone we've gotten. Uh, a big increase in commodity prices, but along with that increase in commodity prices has been a huge increase in our input costs. So, larger amounts of dollars needed. And, and later in the podcast, I'm actually going to give you some actual figures and some numbers uh, on on the amount of interest that's paid. But it's 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 going to be a record amount. Farmers are going to pay a record amount of interest. And there's a lot of locked-in lower term interest out there um and and why do i say locked in lower term interest we got higher interest rates folks not our not only is it taking more money and i know you're going to say well but farmers have made more money but i mean um farmers are notorious for not wanting to pay taxes so 
first thing they're probably going to do is prepay all the expenses they can. Uh, and, and remember, farmers are not on a cruel counting system. They're on cash counting system. Most of them are. Not all of them, but most of them. So, you know, you can you can justify, well, hey, they gave me a, you know, percentage off if I paid for it, you know, in the fall instead of next spring. And so it's in this year's tax year as an expense versus next year's. Uh, and so you're you're going to look, and there's some limits to how much of that you can do and everything else, but it but it is what it is. Um, it, it and I my wife hates it when I say that, but but you know there's there's just these rules of accounting and rules of the tax code and everything else. But uh, and, and farmers have made more money, but also they poured a lot of it into machinery. And I don't know if any of you have been looking, but the price of used machinery has went parabolic. Uh, just huge. Of course, it's because new stuff has went parabolic in price. And, and you know, just, just the increase in the cost of steel and how much steel are, is in these, you know, implements, tractors, and everything else. I mean, it's just, just, it's just huge. It's just huge. Huge, to quote a former president. Now, larger amounts of money means zero is farther down. Now, we're, we're going to throw out when oil traded a negative number or in negative interest. We're going to throw that out. Uh, basically, if you borrow money and things go completely against you, you have to pay that money off. And and as I use this example, when I first started farming, and this is probably 10 years into bee farming, and I still raised a lot of hogs back then, and so you had cash on everything else, needed about $30,000 of operating money, okay? And I always looked upon that, you know, if things ever got bad and I had to get a job, I could get a job, and in a year or two, I could pay that 30000 off. You know, you'd have to scrimp, have to, you know, maybe work a second job, do other things. But, you know, you could pay what what you were borrowing for operating money off, even, even in the 1980s economy. But now, larger operations, everything costing more. And even though percentage-wise, I'm providing more of my input costs than I, than I have in the last 10, 15 years, I'm still looking at adding another zero to that $30,000. Well, I mean, I may be talented, I may be good, but somebody's probably not going to pay me $300,000. And by the way, after-tax money, because if you have carryover debt, you have to, to, have to make after-tax money to pay those amounts off. So, you know, zero is farther down. As we handle more money, as our budgets are bigger, when this thing does bust, and it will bust at some point in time, uh, the elevator shaft's a lot longer down. And it's going to be one interesting ride getting down to wherever, how far or how close to zero we're going to get. Now, when we're talking about credit, talking about, you know, young, you know, invariably it's going to come up about young farmers getting started and the breaks that we have. It's always been tough to start farming. 
farming, especially grain farming, is, is an old money game. It takes money to get started. Now, you, you may be able to borrow it. You may, you may be able to rent enough ground, uh, be in a situation, grandpa may retire. You may be able to lease the equipment. I mean, who, who, there's multiple, multiple ways that, that people, people start. And in a lot of cases, somewhere, somehow, somebody helped them. Now, not always. There's some people that completely did it on their own, and, and my hat's off to you completely. Uh, but I also got to ask, too, are you willing to work for nothing? Is your spouse willing to see you work for nothing? And maybe maybe not only you work for nothing, but the spouse also throws some of their money, not just for all, everybody's living expenses, but throws some of their money they're making into the game. Um, is your family willing to support you, depending on what you're getting into, and the length of return? And, and I'm gonna I'm gonna jump into like livestock here. I, I, I'll use cow calves. Buy bred heifers. Okay, let's say they're five months bred. Well, that means you got four months till they have a baby. That means you're probably not gonna wean them till they're five or six months. Um, you you start doing the math. You're in a lot of cases a year out before you ever get any income back. So what are you gonna do for a year? I mean it it's it's a it, it these 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 deals take time and that's why you know old money can do it because the old money can earn the money over time because quote unquote it's not costing anybody anything to get that money cuz they already got the money and and I mentioned it earlier a little bit about at before tax and after tax money a- after you pay the tax on money and I'm not talking about depreciated out because depreciated out money's never had the tax paid on it. And eventually at some point in time, you're when you either retire, sell out, die, or whatever, the tax is gonna have to be paid on that stuff that were depreciated down. And um, those assets are still sitting there against that depreciation, but they're still worth something. You're gonna have to pay tax on that money. But money that, that has had the tax paid on it is now f- what I call free money. It's money that you can put anywhere you want to put it, and it can go to work for you without costing you anything. And if you buy something that's tax deductible, you're going to get you're going to get a tax deduction against future income because the money that you're you're deducting, you've already paid the tax on. So making a little money and paying a little tax is not a bad thing, and it helps you in this credit game. That's one reason why a lot of financial institutions, when you borrow money from them, one of the things they want to see is your tax returns. And it's more than just Schedule F. I know there's a there's a, a gubernatorial candidate, guy running for governor that's a farmer, and you know everybody got hung up on his Schedule F income, on his quote-unquote farm income. But we all know since they've changed the, the, the tax laws on depreciation, you know, it used to be if you traded in a planner, let's say you bought a $200,000 planner and you traded in a $100,000 planner, you subtracted the one hundred from the two hundred, and you depreciated the extra 100000 Well, now, no, that's not how it counts. You buy that new $200,000 planner and you get to deduct that whole 200000 off your Schedule F 
but that hundred thousand goes in, in, in as income on another on another deal. Now you don't have to you don't have to end up paying Social Security on that, which for young producers who are probably thinking they're never going to see Social Security anyway, or reduce Social Security, that's probably not a bad deal. But for the for, but for older guys that want to pay some Social Security tax so they can get bigger earnings on their Social Security, that's maybe not such a good deal either. So it kind of cuts both ways. But you have to remember that that financing and farm credits tied up in a lot of other things, and one of the things I I look upon is whether it's after tax or before tax money. Now, you, you have the farm credit system, you have private banks, you got major banks, you got local banks, you got federal insti- you know, banks, you have state, you know, chartered banks, you got life insurance companies that still loan money to what I call the top, the high dollar top end deal. USDA, the Farm Service Agency and U- Farm Service Agency and USDA in a lot of cases is still a big lender. I know in some states where the the quality of ground's not near what it is in in the heart of the corn belt. Uh, you know, I've talked to people that says, you know, there's basically the farm credit system and then there's the uh, farm service agency, USDA. There's just not a whole lot of banks that are in the game of lending money and and there's the banks that used to be in the game of lending money, but the 1980s took them out. And here we are getting, you know, on to 40 years later, but we still haven't brought them back in. Now, so, some people are helped finance by their family. Either the family co-signs the note with them or, you know, they literally borrow the money from somebody. Or, I mentioned it earlier, you lease the equipment from grandpa. You know, so grandpa becomes the leasing company, basically. Um, or you rent it from somebody, or you exchange your labor for machinery. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of ways that these things happen. Now, I, I'm going to defend USDA a little bit. There, there's, there was lots of problems in the past on some of the, the loan situations that went on and some of the approvals and the denials. And, and I can tell you, too, that... that some of those people too survived the 1980s like the farmers did and they they kept worrying about the 1980s coming back in over their shoulder and they got gun shy about you know for lack of a better word taking a chance taking a risk on somebody which actually in my mind in my opinion and yes you know it's basically in the rules that you know you have to be able to have a positive cash flow before they can loan money to you, but um, you can't be so gun shy that you don't take a chance on somebody either. When when you're the lender, of last resort and first opportunity. Um, and and I, you know, you got to remember too that that there's politicians involved in this, and in some aspects, how do we get the money to our voters? Not your voters, our voters, my voters. And there's there's some of that that goes on. And that, that you know, that's been a thing. And, and I will say this too. The money always flows to the land. 
you know the the, the farm program payments especially now that there there there's the rare instances where you have um you know you know it may, it may go to the you know per cow but you know you need land to have those cows on i mean there 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 there's been some livestock payments there's been some other payments um uh they're doing some different things now with money when it comes to some of these uh, smaller uh livestock harvesting plants and that kind of stuff um but you know the money generally always flows to the land uh and and it you know it's always been that way if the government if the government makes a bunch of big payments to farmers generally next year the cash rent goes up the landlords they they can they can add they can add it all together and figure it out um now i will say there there are some exceptions to that rule one of the biggest exceptions i know is if you grow something special and you're really good at it and uh, not too far away from me, there's there's an area where two ancient rivers used to go together. There's still a big river that goes through that area. A lot of irrigated sand, so there's a lot of specialty crops growing. And occasionally you'll get the landlord that, well, they're going to fire their tenant and they're going to get somebody that will pay more money or do something different, and they'll still grow the specialty crops. Well, that company, uh, they they're, they're used to working with that tenant. Because that tenant knew how to do whatever they wanted done the way they wanted it done. And so if you can make yourself, quote-unquote, special at something and work relationships, you can... And, and I tell you what, that, you know, when he goes to loaning money to you, if you got a special deal that's got somewhat of a guarantee behind it, hey, you're a customer I'd like to have. Uh, we got to stay profitable in agriculture, and that's the biggest problem with these higher inputs, because you got to have profitability to pay off the credit. Now, in times of inflation, if you get in trouble, well, that ground that was worth five thousand dollars an acre is now worth ten thousand dollars an acre. So, if you got a hundred acres of ground, you just got an extra five hundred thousand dollars in equity. And you could probably come along and borrow another two to three hundred thousand dollars on that equity because it's worth more money. So even if you're not profitable, if inflation is cranking along at a pretty doggone good clip, you can keep borrowing money to stay in business. But eventually, at some point in time, somebody somewhere has to pay that off. Now, if you're 90 years old, you may say, hey, that's not my problem anymore. It's somebody else's problem. But it, it's, you know, inflation, uh, and, and the inflation thing here cuts two ways. The inflation gives you more money. It gives you more equity. But when you go to buy a piece of ground, remember, the principal payments in land... Now you're you're able to depreciate existing tile if there's existing buildings on it, you know what whatever like that you're able to depreciate those costs off. But the but the 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 value of the land itself is not tax deductible, so it takes after tax dollars to buy that property, to pay off the principal, and the big thing is is inflation. 
you know, cheap land, it didn't take much taxes to pay cheap land. You know, if you bought a 40 for $1,300 an acre, and I can show you one of those that, that went on, you know, that's $52,000. Well, $52,000, it doesn't take a lot of taxes to free up $52,000 to pay off that forty. But if that forty is now worth $20,000 an acre, all of a sudden you're talking about $800,000. Well, you're going to have to pay a lot of tax on $800,000 to free that up. So it's not just more principal, it's more taxes that you got to pay on this inflated land price, which is one of the things I do not think a lot of people, when they're borrowing money and maybe some of the bankers are thinking about, wow, they got to pay a lot of tax to get that money back freed up. Now, uh, let, let's say you borrow $400,000 against a piece of ground that has um, equity in it to buy uh, a, a new combine. A, let, let, let's say you put up a grain system. You put up, or you put up a nice heated machine shed with, with an office space in it and everything. Those dollars you're able to tax deduct. So if you so if you come into me and you want to refinance a piece of ground to put up a shop, a grain setup or something else, where you're going to have a lot of tax deductibility off those dollars, then all you need to pay back is those dollars. But if you're coming in there to buy dirt with no, with with no tax deductibility to it, I got to figure the taxes in on the deal that you got to also pay on top of the principal payments. And as we get farther from zero, as I call it, and you know, that, that, that's actually not a, what, what would not have been a bad title to this, you know, farm credit farther from zero. As you get farther from zero, you have to pay more taxes. And because we have a regressive tax system or a progressive tax system or however you want to put it, the more money you make, the more higher rate of tax you have to pay, which increases the amount of taxes. All of a sudden, what you had to pay on 52000 versus what you had to pay on 800000 becomes problematic. Now, the, the inflation, if you do have a bad year, if you have problems, if you have, you, you're going to be able to borrow against the, the assets. I can also say one of the biggest changes in farm credit has been crop insurance. Crop insurance has changed it all. It, the, the, and, and I think in a way it's let the big get bigger. Um, and and, it, and it, has, it has also helped young producers get started because if um, you didn't have crop insurance and a bank was going to loan you half a million dollars on crop inputs and you have a 1980-style drought, a 1988-style drought, a 2012-style drought, when ground that can make 220 bushel an acre corn makes 22, it's only 10% of the money, banks are going to want to make sure you got some assets behind whatever you're doing to guarantee that they can get paid off 
without any crop insurance. And that means you have to have farmed for a while to accumulate things that you could then use as collateral against the loan. Now with crop insurance, hey, the bank can just about dial in how many dollars you're guaranteed. And they know you got this much income coming in. And all of a sudden that changes the game big time. Now, a lot of you, the longtime listeners, will know that I've talked before about what I call the 15% disaster. You know, generally the, the, the person that, that loses the most money in, in this game is the person that raises 85.1% of a crop. Because you lost 15%. And remember, since we're a lot farther away from zero, because we're farming more acres, because everything costs more, that 15% is a lot larger number than what it used to be. That That is a person that gets hurt in this deal. If you raise uh, 110% of the crop, but the price is down a little bit, the volume will help you make up for it. Or if you have a... If you only raise 10% of a crop, you only raise that 8.5%, well, your harvesting costs, your hauling costs, your drying costs, everything else associated with that crop is so much smaller that what you end up... And, and the fact that we base crop insurance off the Chicago Board of Trade price, not your local cash price, so there's no basis involved in the deal. So you actually probably pick up some money there in the basis... If you have a total wipeout, you're you're in a lot better shape. The person that's at the most risk is a person that raises eighty five percent of a crop. I mean that that's kind of that's kind of how I see how the thing works out there. Um, you know, a friend of mine, I've maybe mentioned this before. If you're a long time listener or a recent listener, you know he he talks about the cost of a pot belly load, a semi-trailer load of feeder calves. And he talked about what a year ago was costing $75,000, just recently costing $94,000. And he got outbid on some really nice fancy ones that would have been like $113,000. And the fact that, you know, fuel, feed, seed, fertilizer, machinery repairs, just changing the oil in the tractor has all gone up. And he's like, if I'm going to continue to keep feeding the number of cattle that I feed, and he's got barns and lots that he's kind of got to keep full, he's going to need a lot more credit than what he needed a year ago. And his wife's like, are you sure you want to borrow that much more money? Because once again, you're getting that farther away from the zero. Um, you know, if we had these great prices without the high increase in input costs. Now, there would be some increase in input costs. But if we'd had this jump in grain prices because, let's say, maybe a drought not really driven by energy and war-type inflation, um, we'd have probably been able to self-finance more. But, wow. Wow. I mean, when $1,100 a ton anhydrous is considered a bargain. You know, last year I paid seven fifty dollars a ton, and that's the most ever. I mean, you know, if it was over $400 a ton, I started having, you know, a conniption fit. And, and then, you know, then, then, you know, five dollars $600 a ton. I mean, you know, this thing, you know, is we're farther from zero.
and that's a problem. Machinery is just absolutely crazy. Absolutely crazy. Um, now, I, I talked about this earlier. I'm going to kind of get into some numbers, and I know numbers are hard to get when you're trying to listen to them, but farm interest expenses are projected to jump 40% from last year. And oh, by the way, that's the largest increase on record. Um, farmers' total debt's about $500 billion. We're going to pay $26 billion in farm interest expense. Um, it's, it's all higher production costs. You know, it's some years that we had some really high interest expenses was 1981, 1982, 1983, 1984. Um, 18 and 19 seen an increase in our interest expense, but then it went actually lower for a couple of years, and that's mainly because rates went down. But it just exploded higher because we got the double whammy. Higher higher input costs and higher interest rates. And, and just this last Wednesday on the 21st, uh, the Federal Reserve made history. Uh, it's the third 75 basis points rate hike in a row. That's three quarters of a percent. So three of those in a row, that's two and a quarter percent increase. Now, we know Volcker, I think he raised the interest rates a percent that one time and did it on like a Sunday night. Oh, right before the markets open. Isn't that a good thing to do? But uh, the Federal Reserve, three 75 basis point rate hikes in a row. And I think we got to ask ourselves, how high, how long? Because if we go high, but we don't stay up there a long time and we come back down, we can get relief because we can refinance stuff. Or while things are really high, if it's that way for six months, outside of our operating expenses where we're going to have to pay it for six months, you know, we can just maybe put off buying something for six months. But if it if it goes high and then stays there for a long time, it becomes more more problematic. It's the highest Fed funds rate since two thousand eight credit crisis, and it's affected the currency markets. The Japanese yen, the Japanese government had to had to intervene in the credit markets. They had to the Bank of Japan had to had to put money in to prop up the yen. The Chinese have been squawking about the value of the dollar. And and tell you folks, this this um, is gonna get gonna get exports. It is gonna get exports with that high value of that dollar. Um, now higher rates probably means there are gonna be a recession in twenty twenty three. I think we're already in one, uh, but we can argue about the definition of a recession until the cows come home. Um, and, and the thing is, core inflation's not dropping. Gasoline has, but that's primarily because we released uh, petroleum out of the, the reserve. Um, and we kind of spread that all over the place. Food, the inflation in food is continuing up, and that's us. Um, and, and that's just the higher energy cost working its way through the supply chains. Yeah, and, and, you know, 
I, I'm going to say this, I'm going to upset some of my Democratic friends, but when you increase regulation or make it harder to get around the government regulation, which Biden's done both, you increase costs. You just do. And you, and you disincentivize increased production. And he's been good at that. The, the, whole, the whole bunch in the White House has been good at that. And, you know, it's, it's no wonder we, we're not getting inflation. And, you know, and, and you're hearing some, even some people on the Democratic side of the aisle that are like market uh, gurus, they're saying, you know, if to get inflation down, unemployment's going to have to get up to 6%. And, and I'm not sure in this day and age with the number of people that retire, the number of people that are, are just doing what they need to do to get along, the kids that are living off of mom and dad, hanging out in the basement. Um, states are now sending checks out to people, you know, rebates on your property taxes, you know, uh, help for your high energy costs, whatever. Um, I know my state is. I think California has done some of this. The, you know, okay, the federal government's not sending a check anymore, but now your state is. Got to spend that COVID money. We got to find some way to send it back out there. That all disincentivizes people too from looking for another job if they're laid off or out of work. Um, you know, the one market that looks like it's kind of taking the hit right now is the housing market. And I think it's more it's just not going up like it did. There may, there may be a little softening of some prices, but not a big softening in the prices. Now, there's a lag whenever you raise interest rates. There's always a lag. And you're, you're you know, it takes, it takes a while for those increase in interest rate costs to get passed on to the consumer. But it will. I think the last thing on an agriculture side is that the, the rate hikes, the cost of credit, raises the value of the dollar, which kills exports. And that killed us in the 80s. The high value of the dollar did more to ruin exports in the 1980s. Now, as long as the Ukraine-Russia war is going on everything else, but China's, China's trying to figure out ways to get by without importing as much stuff as they did. Um, I think the high value of the dollar and the fact that, you know, commodities, a lot of them are priced in dollars. You know, we could complain about the price of gold and silver in the United States dollar saying, well, it's not that high and we've got this high inflation and why hasn't the precious metals taken off? But boy, these other currencies that have collapsed in value against the U.S. dollar, the British pound being another one, by the way, um, People that, that bought gold and silver and priced it in their, their own currencies because of the currency fluctuations, it's went up. It's went up a lot. But farther away from zero, get thinking about it in your own operation. You know, just look at the amount of money you got borrowed. Um, look at the interest rate. And like I said, you know, there's people out there saying, hey, we're going to spend 40% more on interest than we did last year. Now... Some of you don't have a lot of money borrowed. Some of us have done a pretty good job of locking in long-term long rates, too. Um, you know, the interest rate's not not that big of a line item. So, if, you know, I, I bump it up and it's not going not gonna to hurt as bad. But I can tell you there's going to be a lot of farmers this fall, this winter, this spring, that are going to go into the bank to talk about their operating note 
to get everything lined up. One, they're gonna they're gonna get all their bills from everybody, and they're gonna go, oh my god, I need this much more money. And then two, they're gonna go in, and the bank's gonna say, oh by the way, we're gonna charge you X instead of Y for the, for an interest rate amount. And then you're gonna be start going, well, how much money this is going to interest? What's my interest payments? And you're going to start figuring out ways to to cut that, and I and when that happens, then you got to worry. Start worrying about deflation because you know that farmer that bought the second or third tractor for a backup, just in case, because we're worried about if somebody can work on it and get it get it serviced or fixed, or we bought that older combine just to have an extra combine around in case we needed it. And yeah, we'll put a bean head on it and cut a few beans on it, but you know, it's just kind of there as a backup. All of a sudden, you start thinking, maybe I ought to convert that in cash and use that to pay for some of these high-cost operating expenses and not have to borrow the money. And then all of a sudden, that stuff starts coming on the market. And if you bought stuff when it was really high, it may not be worth as much. I mean, this this whole thing, it works on the way going up and it works against you on the way going down. But farm credit, I, I think there's a there, there's just a lot going on in the credit markets right now, in the banking world, um, I think, well, another, another little dirty secret that has been told to me numerous times that banks generally make more money when interest rates go up if they have their sales positioned correctly. And most people in the banking business world are pretty smart about having themselves positioned correctly. Just some thoughts here for you. I mean... Yeah, you know, right now everybody's concentrating on the fall, getting the crop, uh, you know, in the bin, getting the crop marketed correctly, you know, maximizing the amount of dollars that you can get off of that. But just be thinking before you go hog wild on that next new piece of equipment, or do you really need whatever you're going for, or whatever you're buying or thinking about? Do you really need that? Because you could maybe use that to offset some of these here higher production costs, which means then you're not borrowing as much money for that, which means you're saving yourself that quote-unquote four. You know, if you can keep your 40% increase in borrowing costs down to 10 or 20, you just put some money in your pocket or didn't spend as much out of it. But when everything costs more, so does money. Well, hey, to the smartest audience in agriculture, who's talking a little bit about farm credit. Thanks for listening.